Take your bulletin notes out. Some of you may be new here and don't even know that we put this sheet in the bulletin. This is for you to write on during the message. I did want you to call your attention to one thing, though. Uh, I didn't really expect it to come out like this, and I'm not real pleased with this. If you notice right up at the top, it says, The Chief of All Sinners, Robert Morris. If you could just take your pen and, and scratch that part out. The... All right, turn to Acts chapter 9. This is our final message in Discovering the Divine series. We've talked about people who had personal encounters with Jesus. And this is one, as you see by the title of the message, the chief of all sinners would refer to whom? Paul. I was not thinking this way at all. I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I was thinking about people who had personal encounters with Jesus during his incarnation. In other words, when he walked as a man for 33 and a half years on this earth. But when the Lord steered me to this, I got real excited because I began to think about during that 33 and a half years is not the only time people had personal encounters with Jesus. Even before he was on this earth, people were having personal encounters with him. You realize that. Sometimes you might not think about it, but it was the son who was active even in the Old Testament who appeared to people. He appeared to Abraham and Sarah and blessed them. He is the one who appeared to them. He was the one talking to Moses in the burning bush. When Moses said, what's your name? He said, I am. And in John chapter 8, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He was so active in the Old Testament, he wrestled with Jacob. Jacob said, I've seen God face to face. He wasn't wrestling with the Father. As a matter of fact, the Father is much more elusive in Scripture than what you think. Most of the time when you think it's the Father doing something in Scripture, it's actually the Son or the Holy Spirit. There's only a few times the Father actually speaks in Scripture. Let me tell you another time that Jesus appeared in the Old Testament. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I used to mispronounce that when I was young. I used to say, my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. But anyway, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego danced with him in the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said, I put three men in the fire, now there's four. And the fourth one looks like the Son of Man. So Jesus has been having personal encounters with people for hundreds of years, thousands of years. But the reason I got so excited when the Holy Spirit directed me to Paul is this is after the ascension of Christ. Jesus lived on this earth, had all these encounters that we talked about, And then he dies, is buried, rises from the grave, and then ascends into heaven. And then here is a person who has a personal encounter with Jesus after the ascension. Here's the reason I'm excited about that. It proves to us that people can still have a personal encounter with Jesus. You can talk to Jesus, and Jesus talked to you today. That's what happens in Acts chapter 9. So, here's Paul's first personal encounter with Jesus. By the way, he had several personal encounters with Jesus. If you just uh, chronicle through his writings, you'll see those. But here's his first one, Acts 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the gateway... Sorry, I just thought I'd throw that in. The church is the gate... 
If you don't know that, the church is the gate, Jesus is the way, and, and that's um, uh, part of our name there. Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And we'll come back and talk about that at the end of the message. All right, what happened in Saul's or Paul's personal encounter with Jesus? Three things I want to tell you. Number one, he received a new name. He is called Saul in this passage. He is called Saul for the next 13 years. But in Acts 13, when he is sent out to fulfill his purpose on this earth, his name is changed to Paul. We don't know if God changed his name, although God has a habit of changing people's names. And we'll talk about that later in the message. All through Scripture, you can probably think of people that God came and changed their names, and there was a purpose in in the reason that he did that. So we don't know if God changed his name. We don't know if Paul himself changed his name, because Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul would be his Gentile name. And Paul was raised, even though he was a Hebrew, he was raised in Tarsus until for a short time. He went from the time he was 12 until he was about 21, he went to Jerusalem to study to become a Pharisee. But then he went back and lived in Tarsus until he was 30 years old. When he was 30 years old is when he met the Lord Jesus. So it's very possible that he himself changed his name. Here's the other thing that's possible. It's possible that the disciples changed his name. The disciples changed Barnabas' name, which was also on his ministry team, his first ministry team. Paul and Barnabas were sent in Acts chapter 13, but Barnabas' name was not the name he was given by his mother at birth. The name he was given at birth was Joseph, and yet the disciples changed his name to Barnabas. The reason they did was because Barnabas means son of encouragement. Now, I just want you to think about this. This is what his closest friend said about him. His closest friend said, if encouragement has a son, it's you. Now, just think about that. If your friends said, if encouragement has a child, a son, a daughter, it would be you. You are the son of encouragement. Now, I know that I ask these questions and they're not always comfortable to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If your friends changed your name based on your character, what would your name be? Would it be encourager? Would it be discourager? Would it be critical? Would it be angry? Would it be happy? Would it be sad? Would it be fearful? If you were given a name according to your nature, what would that name be? And let's say it another way. If you would like to be called something, if you would like to be known as son of encouragement, is it possible you could start acting like the son or daughter of encouragement? Now, here's the great thing. God has a new name for you. Every person here, when you got saved, God changed your name. Did you know that? A lot of people don't know this. Last night I shared this message and Tim Shepard was here. 
He said, I've got to write you an email and tell you about this. He said, five years ago, God said to me, your name is no longer Tim, it's Timothy. That's what I call you. And he said, I've got to just share with you how the Lord spoke that to me and what he's done in my heart since then. Let me show you this scripture. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now let me show you something. Are you, as a believer, are you a member of the church now? Okay, so you need to listen to this. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. I'm going to give everyone who overcomes a new name, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now, let me just say something to you. Some of you might say, well, yeah, but I might not overcome. Listen to me carefully. You're not going to overcome because you're good. You're going to overcome because of grace. You've got to quit thinking a works mentality and a works theology. The reason you're going to overcome is because you're in Christ and Christ has overcome the world. You're going to overcome because His grace has saved you and kept you and sustained you. You responded to His grace and you received His grace. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you've got a new name. If you come to Jesus, you get a new name. Now, here's my question for you. What is your new name? What is the name that God has for you? Now, this is what I want to say that I started to say a moment ago. Satan will also tell you what your name is. But that's the voice you don't need to listen to. Here's what Satan will say. Your name is what they called you in high school. Your name is what your father used to call you when he would get mad at you or when he was drunk. Your name is the way you act when you blow it. That's your real name. Sometimes you're a great guy, and then all of a sudden you go off the deep end, and you do something, and you blow up at everybody. That's your name. Your name is adulterer. Your name is loser. Your name is failure. Your name is bitterness. Your name is fear. Your name is shame. That is the wrong voice to listen to. What every person here needs to do, you need to begin asking God in your quiet time, what's my new name? Because here's what Scripture says, I'm going to give every person who overcomes a white stone, and on that white stone will be a new name that only the one who receives it will know. You're the only one that's going to know this name. Now just think about that. I asked the Lord when I saw this Scripture, A while back, I said, God, what's my new name? And it took several weeks for me to really hear the Lord. And then all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me and said, this is your name. And it is the joy of my life. It's what I live for. It relates to my purpose, which I think Paul's name related to his purpose. Saul, by the way, means demanded death. How would you like that for a name? This is the guy, by the way, that went around and demanded death from believers. Paul... This may not make sense to you. First, Paul means little or small. It's possible that he was small in stature, and that's what the disciples could have given that name. But I think personally, Paul decided to use that name because he refers to himself as the least of all the apostles. And isn't it amazing that he refers to himself as the least of all the apostles, but everyone here knows and everyone in heaven knows he's the greatest apostle. And by the way, remember, that's the way it is in the kingdom. If you try to be the least, are you all with me? You'll be the greatest. And if you try to be the greatest, you'll be the least. 
There's several reasons why Paul's the greatest apostle, but just to name a few was, how many books are in the New Testament? Does anyone remember? Twenty-seven. How many did Paul write? Thirteen. I know you don't like to do math. I've already figured that out. Thirteen out of twenty-seven, almost half the books. And let me say it another way. I personally believe he wrote fourteen. We'll find out when we get to heaven. You, you can come up to me in heaven and say, ah, oh, you were wrong. It wasn't Paul. But I think he wrote Hebrews. I think he co-wrote it with Luke, personally. But that's beside the point. So it's possible he wrote more than half of the books. By the way, think about this. If he wrote 13 of the New Testament books, that's 13 more than you wrote. (laughs) That's not bad. Most of the theology that the church now understands about Jesus came from Paul. The theology of being saved by grace. The theology of the body of Christ. I just can't even tell you all the theology that is in the books that Paul wrote. He's incredible. Why? Because God gave him a new name, and his name, when he took that name and said, I'll become the least, God made him the greatest. So he gave him a new name. So what's your new name? What is your new name? Every believer here has a new name. All right, here's the second thing he received in that encounter with Jesus. He received a new nature. He received a new nature. Why does God change people's names? Because your name represents your nature. Have you ever thought about how many names there are of God? I don't know if you've ever done a study on the names of God. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah uh, Sidkenu, Jehovah Shalom. I mean, just all these names, El Shaddai, Yahweh, all these different names of God. Even when you talk about Jesus, His name will be Wonderful, Counselor, Prince of Peace. All these names that the Bible gives. Why does God give all these names for God? Because your name reveals your nature. Why did God change the names of people? It's very simple. Because He changed their nature. Abram meant father. Abraham meant father of a multitude. Your name relates to your purpose. Here's what God was saying to Abram. Your purpose is not just to be a father. Your purpose is to be a father of a multitude. By the way, Sarai, his wife's name meant princess, and Sarah meant princess of a multitude. He said, you're not only going to be a mother, which you don't even think you are, you're going to be a mother of a multitude. Jacob meant manipulator or supplanter. Israel means one who prevails with God. Here's what he's saying. Jacob, let me just explain something to you. In this encounter with me, I'm not only changing your name, I'm changing your nature. Because you prevail, because God's on your side, you're never going to have to manipulate to get anything done again. I'll just take care of it for you. Here's another person he changed. Most of us know that he changed Simon to Peter. Simon means unstable. Peter means stable or rock. Very stable. A boulder. Here's another one that he changed. Levi and Matthew. A lot of people have no idea that that's the same person. Levi means attached. Levi was Leah's second son. And remember, she wasn't loved. Her first son, she names Reuben, and it means loved. She says, maybe my husband will love me now. Her second son, she names Levi, and what she says out of her mouth is, maybe my husband will become attached to me now. So Levi leaves his family, by the way, is rejected by his family, becomes a tax collector for the Roman government, which all the Jews now hate him. His family hates him, and his whole nature is trying to find acceptance his whole life. His whole life is trying to get someone to become attached to him, because that's his name. That's his nature. And so Jesus comes along and says, no, we're not going to call you Levi anymore, someone who's looking for attachment. We're going to call you Matthew, which means gift of God. I'm going to tell you something, Levi. You never have to get acceptance anymore through what you do. You can get acceptance just by a gift 
He's already saying to him, grace is a gift. It's already a gift. So God comes along and changes people's names because He changes their natures. Now, this is what I want you to understand. You have a new nature. When you became a believer, you got a new nature from God. Look at Saul's old nature. Acts chapter 8, verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. That's his old nature. And then he gets a new nature. Now, here's what I want you to understand, though. Once Saul, or Paul as we know him, got the new nature from God, did he do anything wrong after that? What do you think? you think he made any mistakes? Sure he did. Here's how he describes his own life. Romans chapter 7, verse 19. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Now, that's not a great, I mean, that's not a great role model there, is it? But he's just being normal. Here's what he's telling us. I've got a new nature, but you don't understand that I have a choice even as a believer. Here's one of the great revelations Paul gave us. No other New Testament writer gave us this revelation. He gave us the revelation that every one of us have an old man and a new man. And that we have to put off the old man, and we have to reckon the old man dead, and we have to put on the new man. Here's what he says in Romans 6. Reckon or consider that the old man has been crucified with Christ. Here's what he tells us, and you've got to reckon or consider him dead. Here's what he tells us in Romans 12. I'm begging you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, if you don't understand that there's an old man and a new man, you're going to be in a lot of trouble as a believer. Listen to me very carefully. Put your old man on the altar. He is a living sacrifice. Now, think about this very carefully with me. There's one problem with a living sacrifice. It can crawl. That's the only problem with a living sacrifice. In other words, if you put something dead on the altar and start a fire under it, it stays right there. You put something that's living on the altar and start a fire underneath it, it's going to crawl off the altar. That's what the old man does. When the fire gets turned up in your life, the old man gets off the altar and tells you how to think, how to act, and how to feel. Now, it's very important you understand those three words. The old man will tell you how to think, how to act, and how to feel. I'm going to say them again. How to think, how to act, and how to feel. If you'll just think about it, I'm using different words to describe your soul. Your soul is made up of three components. What are those three components? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Mind, will, emotions. The old man tries to tell you how to think, your mind, how to act, your will, and how to feel your emotions. That's what he does. And you have to realize, I am not going to think that way. Every time you have a discussion with your wife, now let me give you the Greek word for discussion, argument. (laughs) Every time you have a lively discussion with your spouse, the old man tells you, you know how you ought to think about what she just said? Do you know what you ought to do now that she said that? And do you know how you ought to feel that she said that to you? Are you all following me? 
Please, please follow me on this. That's what the old man does. And if you don't understand that, you'll think you're in trouble. All right, let me say something else. You cannot cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. Now, let me tell you why I'm saying that. You can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. The church has gone to both extremes. There's one camp that says believers don't need deliverance and demonic spirits can't bother believers. Well, that's foolishness. Paul writes to the church and says, you better watch out because the roaring lion is going around seeking whom he may devour. Listen to me. He's not trying to come against the unbelievers. They're on his side. He's coming against the church. Paul said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Here's some people's motto. We just wrestle not. We just don't even fight because we're in the church and demons can't bother us. Well, they can bother you and they need to be cast out. But let me just tell you something. Even after you go through deliverance, you're going to have to battle the flesh. So you need deliverance and discipleship. There's one crowd that says all people need deliverance. Once they get delivered, they'll be fine. No, that's not all they need. But there's another crowd that says people don't need deliverance. They just need discipleship. No, that's not all they need. They need both. You can't disciple a demon and you can't cast out the flesh. That's one of the wisest things I've ever said, and you all didn't get that excited about it. You can't disciple a demon, and you can't cast out the flesh. You need both. Does everyone agree with that? So here's what you have to do. You have to understand that the enemy is going to come against you, but you also have to understand that the old man wants to tell you how to think, how to act, and how to feel. And let me tell you something else about what Satan will do. I can remember a pastor years ago, and the statement he made is completely true. But I was so in bondage, I heard it differently. He said, you just need to know who you really are. And the statement's true. You really do need to know who you are in Christ. But he said, you need to know who you are. You just need to know who you really are. And I remember sitting out there and listening, and this is what the voice said to me. The enemy said to me, I'll tell you who you really are. Has anyone here ever heard that? You need to know who you really are. And the problem is that when that voice said to me, I'll tell you who you really are, he had evidence. He had some things from my past that he could say, this is who you really are. And so I began to say to the Lord, I want to believe who I really am, but it sure looks like this is who I really am. Because this is the way I act, think, and feel. And so the Lord said, well, just quit thinking about it that way. Think about it this way. Think about who you were and who you are becoming. Ain't that good? Who you were and who you are becoming. Now, who I am becoming is, is who I really am in grace, in Christ. But I had to think about it differently so that when Satan would come to me and say, let me tell you who you really are. Do you know what I did? I did exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, agree with your adversary quickly. When Satan came in and said, you know who you really are? You're this, this, and this. You know what I did? I said, you're exactly right. That's who old Robert is. But that's not who new Robert is. Because I've become a new creation in Christ. So, Paul got a new nature. Here's the third thing. He received a new purpose. He received a new purpose. Acts 26, verse 14. Here is his testimony before King Agrippa, five years before he dies. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now, verse 16, 17, 18 are not in Acts 9. Okay, they're not there. 
But listen to what he says. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you've seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you. Maybe why he changed his name to a Gentile name. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, that's not in Acts 9, but Jesus said it to him. What I'm saying is that Jesus said that to him in Acts 9, but he didn't begin sharing that until later in his life. In other words, when he was a new believer, he didn't go around saying, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to be the greatest apostle. You know, Jesus said, I'm going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. You know, Jesus said, I'm going to teach them about forgiveness of sins and sanctification by faith. And I'm going to be the one, the one Martin Luther, by the way, it was Paul that came up with sanctification by faith. Through the Holy Spirit, Martin Luther brought it back, but Paul's the one that first wrote about it. He said, I'm going to be the one that presents this. But he doesn't say that as a new believer. And so five years before he dies, he's standing before King Agrippa, and Luke is there, who wrote the book of Acts, and he shares his testimony with King Agrippa, and he shares something that he's never shared before. He said, when I met him on that Damascus road, he not only changed me, but he told me what my purpose in life was. Now, that's what I want you to know. I'm telling you that if you become a believer, not only do you have a new name, not only do you have a new nature, you have a purpose in Christ. And until you find out what that purpose is and start doing it, you will not be fulfilled on this earth. You have to do the purpose. When you fulfill your purpose, you will be fulfilled. When you fulfill your purpose, you will be fulfilled. One other revelation that I just have to share with you. Paul is the only New Testament writer. Some of this stuff is just going to shock you. And I know you that have the gift to teach are going to go check it out. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to check Scripture out. I want you to read, study as much as you want to. Paul's the only New Testament writer that referred to the church as the body of Christ. This is another revelation we get through Paul. Not through any other New Testament writer. He's the only one. Do you know why I think he understood the body of Christ being the church? All right, think about this. Jesus said to him... Think about it now. Jesus said to him, Why are you persecuting me? Paul said, Well, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus. Let me say it another way. I think Paul left that conversation and he couldn't get those words out of his mind. Why would Jesus say that I was persecuting him when I was persecuting believers? Oh, believers are the body of Christ. Now, I know we're the corporate body of Christ. But sometimes we don't understand how important we are as individuals. And I want to just take this revelation a little bit further, okay? So just stay with me. Did Jesus have a literal flesh and blood body when he was on this earth? Yes. Does he still... Hey, listen to me. Does he still walk on this earth in literal bodies? (laughs) Let me just remind you of a scripture. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? 
Not your soul. Not your spirit. Your body. When Jesus was on this earth, did He literally put a flesh and blood hand on a sick person and heal them? Would He like to, right now, put a hand on a sick person and heal that person? Okay, listen to me carefully. If Jesus is going to witness to your neighbor, He wants to use your feet to walk across the street and your mouth to talk. Come on, that's better than you thought. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was on this earth in one body. Now, He has millions of bodies. And He wants to walk around and touch people and say encouraging words to people. We went through this whole series about all these people that met Jesus and had a personal encounter with Him. Listen to me. Someone can meet you and still meet Jesus. Because Jesus is in you. People can still have personal encounters with Jesus because Jesus has given you a new name, a new nature, and a new purpose. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? If you're here today and you don't know if you died, you'd go to heaven. We want to lead you to the Lord. We want to help you come to the Lord. If you're here today and you don't know what your new name is, we'll pray with you about that. Or you're here today and you're having a real difficulty battling the flesh, battling the old man. We want to pray with you and help, help you. One of, the first, one of the pastors on staff told me, the first person that came up to him last night to pray with him was in bondage to drugs. We want to help you. We want to help you. In a moment, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. After I pray, Tim Shepard's going to sing a song. And while he sings that song, we're going to, as soon as we stand up, our, our altar ministry team, our leaders here in the church, are going to just come right to the altar just immediately. They'll, they'll be the first ones here. And as soon as we stand up in just a moment to pray, I want you just to step out and come. If you're here today and you don't know if you died, you'd go to heaven. You don't leave this building like that. You can have a Damascus Road experience today. If you're here and you're a believer and you're having problems, just decide, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to get prayer, all right? Lord, I pray that you will draw every person that you desire to minister to today. In Jesus' name, amen.